Hi, and welcome to the Veterans Legal Lowdown, brought to you by Chisholm, Chisholm, and Kilpatrick, a law firm representing veterans nationwide. In each episode, we break down a different VA disability topic or share our take on the latest VA benefit news. This is the Veterans Legal Lowdown with Chisholm, Chisholm, and Kilpatrick. I'm Courtney Ross. I'm Michael Estrito. I'm Elise Golaski. And today we're talking about new laws for veterans and service members in 2020. Um, So before we jump into the specific laws that we're going to talk about today, I want to start by just generally explaining uh, the National Defense Authorization Act. All of the laws that we go through today were passed as part of this broader act. Um, And what this act is, is an annual funding bill for the Department of Defense that sets out spending limits and policies for how the money will be spent for that year. Um, What's interesting about this bill is because uh, legislators know that it needs to be addressed and passed each year. They'll also, um, oftentimes, will propose to incorporate other bills as part of that law. Um, so this year's bill was a $738 billion uh, bill. It passed back in December by Congress and was signed into law by the President on December 20th of 2019. So one of the first things we want to talk about is what was referred to as the widow's tax. Um, and to really understand this, you first have to understand two different types of benefits. The first one is what's called DIC, or Dependency and Indemnity compensation. This is a VA benefit. It's a monthly benefit that is paid out to surviving dependents of veterans who have passed away from, um, have died either in action, so in service, or as a result of their service-connected disabilities. Um, And the current rate for DIC, I think, is just over $1,300 currently. Um, The second benefit is what's called the Survivor's Benefit Plan, or SBP, Um, and this is a monthly benefit that is paid to a surviving spouse of a retired veteran. Um, This is a a program that the veteran elects and pays into, Um, and so the the, the amount that they're paid varies, but they can be paid up to 55% of the retirement plan that the veteran had. What's important to know here is that surviving dependents uh, who qualify for both programs um, cannot receive payments from both programs. And that inability to collect is what is referred to as the widow's tax. So essentially, the payments offset one another. So if a widow or a a surviving dependent is receiving SBP, um, and at some point they're awarded the DIC benefits for every dollar of DIC, a dollar of the SBP benefit gets offset. Um, And this is significant because it can cost a surviving spouse or dependent up to $11,000 a year in benefits that they are no longer receiving. Um, And it's up to, I think estimates are 65,000 individuals each year are experiencing this. Um, Legislators have introduced bills repeatedly um, over the last 20 years to try to get this repealed. Um, And now with the passage of this last Um, National Defense Authorization Act, the repeal was part of it. So it's been passed and signed, um, but it's not an immediate rollout. It's something that's going to be rolled out in different phases over the next three years. Um, 
so now I want to talk turn to talk about tracking blast exposure. So Elise, can you talk a little bit about this? Um, this was also, again, passed as part of this act. And so just a little bit about what this means for veterans and service members. Yeah, absolutely. So this has to do with TBIs or um, traumatic brain injuries. A TBI is actually almost known as the signature wound um, for veterans or service members in Iraq and Afghanistan because it's just such a common injury. Um, it can go undiagnosed uh, and it also often can lead to uh, symptoms such as irritability, headaches, um, cognitive issues, sleep disorders. Um, and actually 22% of casualties in both the Iraq and Afghanistan uh, wars involved brain injuries. So it, it's, a, it's a big deal. Um, and one of the big problems with that was that there haven't been in the past ways to track um, blast exposure. So the NDAA is now uh, basically directing the Pentagon to come out and start documenting when troops have been exposed to these blasts. They need to both document the duration of the blast and the date. And if possible, they also need to um, document the pressure um, of the, act, the measured blast pressure. So that won't be possible in any, every case, but at least having the date and um, the duration will help. Uh, that's going to help veterans become service-connected down the line. It's also going to help people get their medical benefits. Um, and uh, basically, going forward, what's going to happen next is that the uh, DOD is going to have to report to Congress what their plan is uh, within a year. Great. Um, I want to turn now to talk a little bit about what's called the Ferries Doctrine mm -hmm. and what implications on that doctrine that the recent passage of the NDAA had. Um, so Mike, can you speak a little bit about what that doctrine is and what changes were made? Sure. So the, the Ferries Doctrine is a, it's a legal doctrine. It's been around for a very long time. Um, in fact, it stems from a 70-year-old Supreme Court case. Um, and the Authorization Act basically has some implications as to how that doctrine is applied uh, going forward. Um, the doctrine basically stands for the idea that um, service members are not allowed to sue the federal government for injuries that they might have sustained while on active duty due to the result of um, you know, the federal government's malpractice or negligence. It's really an extension of the concept of sovereign immunity, which generally speaking just doesn't allow um, individuals to sue the federal government. Um, but civilians have always been allowed under in certain circumstances under the Federal Torts Claims Act to in certain instances sue the federal government for medical malpractice and negligence. But under the, the Ferries Doctrine, the 70-year-old legal doctrine, service members were not allowed to do so. So they really were left with little to no recourse um, in situations where they may have been uh, uh, you know, re receive some type of injury or some type of damage as a result of medical malpractice committed by a medical or a, a military doctor. Um, so kind of an example, this is a, a common example that's been um, been discussed in the news, um, a situation where, you know, a service member has uh, lung cancer um, and unfortunately their lung cancer was misdiagnosed by a military doctor during their active duty service. Um, even if, the, even if that misdiagnosis was ultimately the result of some type of medical malpractice on behalf of the uh, uh, you know, Department of Defense or VA doctor, they wouldn't be allowed to sue in a civil court for any injuries or damages because of the, the, of the Ferries Doctrine. Um, so how does that play into what was passed in the National um, Defense Authorization Act? 
basically the Authorization Act looked at the doctrine and it, it, it did not overturn the doctrine. So just to be clear, the doctrine still stands. Um, but what it did was it, it, it set up a process for which veterans can now file claims with the Department of Defense for injuries that they sustained as a result of medical malpractice on behalf of a VA or Department of Defense doctor. Um, so again, the doctrine still stands. Veterans are not allowed at the current moment to file you know, an independent civil suit in court, um, but the Department of Defense is now going to be required to set up a claims process. Um, it's really to be seen how the Department of Defense goes about setting up that claims process. Um, they're going to have the authority and the discretion to set up the process and decide the claims. So I guess it's to be determined a little bit. Um, but that that's going to be coming here in the next several months and years where veterans will now have some recourse at least to file a claim and receive some type of compensation for any medical malpractice that's been committed on behalf of a uh, military doctor. Thank you, Mike. Um, so one of the other, or a number of the laws that the and were included in the NDAA deal with different types of exposure that veterans may have experienced during their time in service, including exposure to burn pits and um, Agent Orange. So I want to turn now to talk about the laws that relate to that. Um, Elise, can you start us off with um, some of the information that is relevant for burn pits and maybe just briefly explain, explain what a burn pit is? Absolutely. So a burn pit is basically a large military <clears throat> dump. Um, it's composed of various uh, materials, basically. It could be plastics. It could be, um, a, you know, discarded equipment, medication, um, or even human waste. Uh, basically, it's lit on fire and it's it's a, basically what it sounds like. It's a giant burn pit. Um, but the problem with that is all of those materials that are being burnt release toxins into the air. Um, and that's the exposure uh, that we're talking about. And this exposure has been associated with different types of cancers and respiratory illnesses. Um, so it's it's kind of being referenced as the new Agent Orange. Um, and kind of in response, the ND NDAA has um, has issued two basically two different types of provisions that are going to address these burn pits. The first is uh, to, to start to bring back the burn pits, and the second is going to be a way to start tracking them. Um, and it, it's really important as far as the bringing them back because VA has estimated that this has impacted about 3.5 million uh, service members and veterans um, since 9/11. Uh, it. Among the contaminants is uh, a toxin called dioxin, um, and this is a highly toxic chemical that has been associated with reproductive issues, also cancers, um, development issues. It's um, it can affect your hormones um, and your immune system. And another big thing is it what it shares in common is that it is one of the main toxins that was found in Agent Orange. Um, so that's also been found in these burn pits. Uh, there were as many as 63 uh, burn pits used in Iraq and in the height of the Operation Iraqi Freedom. Uh, and there is a pre predicted amount of about 250 burn pits uh, at the peak between both Afghanistan and Iraq. Um, so what's going to happen next? The Pentagon is going to have to uh, roll out a plan, basically, to start phasing out these burn pits. Um, 
Most likely, what's already started happening is they're replacing the burn pits with incinerators. Um, so th that's most likely what might happen. I'm not sure exactly, but um, a lot of these burn pits have already started to be replaced. Uh, we're down from 250 now. They're predicting there's probably about only nine still active. Um, most of them are in Syria. There's, I think, one in Afghanistan and another one in Egypt. Um, so they've been massively uh, reduced already, but the plan is now to phase them out completely so that hopefully there'll be no further exposure to these toxins. Okay. And so you said the first part was uh, ending the use of the burn pits, yes. and the second part is going to be tracking uh, the burn pits and the toxic exposure. So Mike, can you talk a little bit about the specifics of that part of the law? Sure. Um, like As we alluded to here, there's really a lot that's not known or um, been communicated really at least about burn pits and their mm -hmm. use. So I think one of the primary um, aims as to some of the provisions within the National Defense Authorization Act is to do things like better track, better document, and better research exposure related to burn pits. Um, and so on those points, there's a provision um, within the bill that now requires the Secretary of Defense to submit a report to both Congress and the Department of Veterans Affairs to specifically list out all of the burn pits and their locations that have been used and, and were used and continue to be used. Um, so hopefully that provides some additional um, uh, clarity at least and some additional information to providers and people on the benefit side um, that can be very useful in, uh, you know, in, the, in the VA compensation context at least uh, help decide these claims. Um, in terms of better documenting some of the exposures due to burn pits, there are some provisions in this legislation that uh, require uh, the Department of Defense basically to, to, to now evaluate service members at certain periods of time in order to determine whether they've been exposed and if they've been exposed, um, how that impacts their overall health. So. This seems, at least to my understanding, this is something that's new in the sense that there's going to be a real renewed effort to, to, to really take a look at whether a veteran has been exposed to burn pits. And there's going to be some additional training as well for the medical staff at the Department of Defense and the VA to better able to to be better able to identify exposure and how it might relate to certain diseases. So I think that hopefully will go. Um, a long way to, you know, allowing the providers to have this issue um, be at the forefront when they're evaluating veterans. Um, additionally, there's going to be some other provisions where, um, you know, there's going to be more information sharing, if you will. You know, the Department of Defense will be required to submit a report, um, as I said, detailing the extent to which and the location of the burn pits, but they're also going to be required to uh, retroactively update medical records for different uh, for veterans, and so that's important because up until now, a lot of the veterans' medical records really have been absent as to, you know, were, did they serve in a location near a burn pit? It's not really documented. So now they're going to be uh, required to retroactively look back and and keep better record keeping for those issues. Um, I think another important thing to to just keep in mind is that really about 80% or up to 80% of all burn pit claims that are filed for VA compensation are rejected. Uh, I think a large part of that 
is because of a lack of information, information sharing, uh, research, lack of research, um, and lack of documentation as to where these burn pits were located mm -hmm. and, you know, you know, in terms of tracking um, the extent to which they were used. So hopefully some of these provisions, I think they're aimed to achieve that end and hopefully they do so. Yeah. <clears throat> and I think too, um, this is similar to what Elise <clears throat> said about tracking the blast exposures and with the burn mm -hmm. pits now. Once these laws are fully implemented and DOD is taking these steps, um, I think it could have a significant impact on veterans who have these different claims or appeals pending for. TBIs or other head injuries and different types of conditions that they're trying to link to burn pits. Um, so it could be really significant in, in the long term uh, future once these are fully implemented. Absolutely. And I think, um, you know, if there is research that the Department of Defense has been doing mm -hmm. uh, as to the effects of burn pits, it hasn't always been distributed to, to Congress or to the Department of Veterans Affairs. And now under certain provisions of this legislation, um, that research will now have to be distributed to the other departments so that they are um, better able to deal with this issue, hopefully. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think like in an ideal world, we're hoping this might potentially open the door to making burn pits <clears throat> a presumptive type um, injury similar to um, different exposure cases like um, Agent Orange. Yeah. And that's actually a perfect transition oh, there you go. <laughs> um, because the last thing I want to talk about today is Agent Orange mm -hmm. and the implications that the NDAA had for that. Um, so the law, the NDAA, requires VA leaders to reveal what their plan is for adding uh, new conditions as presumptive Agent Orange conditions. Um, specifically, the law requires that VA reports to Congress within 30 days of the passage, which we're right at that mark this week. Um, as I said, it was signed into law on December 20th, 2019. Um, so to report to Congress within 30 days the reason for the years-long delay in adding new conditions, um, as well as a cost estimate for what it will take to add the conditions and a time frame for when this is all going to happen. Um, and what's interesting is we are saying new conditions, um, but really it's been a number of years now where a certain number of conditions has had scientific and medical evidence to support that there's a link between Agent Orange and these conditions. Um, and we've kind of been waiting years to see what VA is going to do. So back in 2016, the National Academies of Science, uh, Sciences rather, um, issued a report on a number of conditions including um, hypothyroidism, bladder cancer, and Parkinson's-like uh, tremors. And their research uh, showed that there was suggestive evidence that there's a link between those three conditions and Agent Orange. Um, and as I've said, this is the type of research that VA has used in the past to add conditions that are already on the list, so things like ischemic heart disease, diabetes, that are already presumptive conditions. Um, and I should actually back up and just give a little bit more context to what I mean by presumptive conditions. So. What I mean is that if a veteran has uh, filed a claim for um, ischemic heart disease, we'll use that as an example because it's already on VA's list, um, all that they have to show VA to get service connection is the diagnosis of that condition and then the exposure and service if that's not already presumed. So they don't have to provide or show that medical ne nexus linking mm -hmm. the condition to service because it's presumed if you were exposed and you have this condition, we're going to grant you service connection. Mm -hmm. um, so it's significant whether new conditions are going to be added to the list or not. So back in 2016, the National Academy of Sciences issued that report. The VA secretary at the time um, said shortly after that that he had made a decision on a number of conditions um, and that a decision was going to be 
issued soon. Um, that never happened. Um, in 2018, the National Academies uh, issued another report um, for hypertension that said there was sufficient evidence linking hypertension and uh, to Agent Orange, so even higher than for the other three conditions. Um, following that, again, there was some indication that we might get a decision one way or the other, nothing happened. Um, in March of 2019, VA actually reported to Congress that within 90 days we would have a decision on which conditions were being added. Nothing happened. Um, and it did come out in the news in sometime back in the fall um, that the Office of Management and Budget and the White House may have been delaying some of the um, decision to add conditions due to cost concerns. Um, and so this is important, kind of this brief summary of the history here is important because now we have this law that's been signed, um, it's in effect, and it requires VA to make a decision and report to Congress within the 30 days what the plan is. Um, so we don't, again, we're at the 30-day the thirty day mark, rather, um, and we don't know the exact time frame, but I think just a few weeks ago it was, um, the Secretary said that it probably actually won't be until late 2020 um, that they have a decision on what, what conditions are being added. Um, and the reason he gave for that is that they're waiting on the results of two different um, scientific studies. So one of them, just so I don't mess up the names, are the Vietnam Era Health Retrospective retrospective observational study and the other one is the Vietnam era mortality study. Um, the problem is is that both of those studies will need to be analyzed and peer-reviewed before they can be published um, which could really add well, even okay. more delay onto um, the time frame for what we're going to get a decision on these. Uh, and the unfortunate part of all of this is that you know there's at least estimates are that there's up to 83,000 veterans who are suffering from um, you know, hypothyroidism and the bladder cancer and the Parkinson's like tremors. And so, you know, while VA, um, while we wait for VA to make a decision on adding those conditions, um, there's a large mm -hmm. portion of the veteran community that are waiting um, and already suffering from those conditions. Um, so CCK is going to keep a close eye on this um, and monitor it. Um, and hopefully within this year, we'll, we'll get a final answer from VA on that. So that's the last thing we wanted to touch base um, about specifically today. Elise or Mike, do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up? Mike? Uh, I think we touched on it. There's a lot here, um, a lot of good stuff, mm -hmm. a lot of uncertainty, uncertainty still. Mm -hmm. um, but I think we will certainly be on top of monitoring it all over the next year um, and making sure that any major changes are you know, relayed the best that we can. Great. I think it's definitely promising. It's, I mean, you're starting to see more regulations come through um, regarding both veterans that served in Iraq and Afghanistan, and um, those the burn pits. Hopefully, we'll start to see some some big movement with that. Yeah, I think that, that burn pits. I think is the next big issue. I, I think Many so people too. have said that, yeah. um, and it's a slow it's a slow roll. There's no doubt, but um, you know, hopefully, some of these provisions kind of are a step in the right direction to providing some more clarity. Um, and getting us to where we want to be. I agree. Well, that's all we have for you today. Thank you for joining with Chisholm, Chisholm, and Kilpatrick. This episode of Veterans Legal Lowdown was produced by Chisholm, Chisholm, and Kilpatrick, a law firm representing veterans nationwide in their VA disability claims. If you're interested in a free case evaluation with CCK, give us a call at 844-549-4500 or visit our website at cck-law.com.